MCT on a hit and to make sure I don't miss. Step, step to the mic. Let's see. Pick this up, G. If you never stereotype this, the stereotype will never be held. I bet if you throw that ass in the air, it'll turn into sunshine. What's happening in Australia? This is Tony M from the New Power Generation. And you're listening to the Peach and Black podcast. Welcome to the Peach and Black podcast. Your central place to hear unofficial news, reviews, trivia, and intelligent discussion on all things happening in the Prince world. Featuring the host, MC. You know, it's got all those classic Prince elements. Captain. Why wouldn't you just record as much as you could? Player. It's just like a story chest of ideas. Toe Jam. Either version. I love both versions. Hello. Hello. Hey. Hey, what's going on? <laughs> we're, we're just chilling in australia how about you <laughs> just chilling in minneapolis man how y'all doing yeah we're doing really well oh, you're in minneapolis okay yeah we're eden prairie so a suburb of minneapolis oh fantastic yeah man well, well thanks heaps for taking the time out and coming on the show i told captain uh you know he said hey if i had about an hour and i said what could you possibly talk to me about for an hour we get a lot of questions. <laughs> so just like, you know, uh, just wanting to kick it, just lay back, talk and see where it goes. Yeah, that's basically it. So, uh, Captain. Okay, so Tony, tell us about yourself, your background and where you grew up. Uh, grew up in North, North Minneapolis. Uh, I was uh, a few years younger than Prince, probably five to six years younger. So I grew up watching him and Andre Simone and, and all of them uh, come up through North Minneapolis uh, with the Battle of the Bands. Ironically, um, uh, I grew up, you know, playing sports. Terry uh, Terry Lewis used to be my Pop Warner football coach for a, a local club called Hospitality House, and I went to high school with his brother Jerome. So we've all known each other uh, for wow. for years. I mean, since we were young. Wow, all connected. So you and Jerome yeah, went to school together. Yes, Jerome and I went to school together. Yeah. Wow. So when did you first? Do you remember when you first met Prince? Was that at school? Well. I had seen Prince again on the scene, ever, you know, through the Ballad of Bands, and we would have this summer, like, extravaganza. Ballad of Bands is what you want to call it. So it would be, like, yeah. Flight Time, which is a separate band. That was with Terry and uh, Jimmy Jam and Batman and, and Alexander O'Neill. And then Prince had his band, you know, Grand Central, and that was with, uh, you know, Andre Morris on drums, his sister on keyboards, Linda and... So we'd have this annual like get together, big big festival at, at a place called Phyllis Wheatley uh, Park in uh, North Minneapolis, and that's when you know all of our local bands would come out and showcase, and then a gentleman by the name of Spike Moss would bring in some national acts, and everybody got a chance to hone their craft and and do their thing, and uh, so I, I you know first really became aware of Prince you know back then, so I've known about these cats for a long time. My first real interaction with Prince was probably um, during Purple Rain. Damon and myself, we started um, a little dance group. We used to go down to First Avenue, and they used to have these cabaret shows or dance contests. And uh, I, I just remember I was probably, I was still in the Marine Corps, actually, when I uh, when I started this. And I looked at Damon and I said, you know what, man, let's, we could probably put together a little dance routine, and let's go down here and see what happens. So, you know, we went down to First Avenue and, and won that night, and probably won for like six or seven weeks straight. And uh, wow. then Kirk, he had his own dance troupe called B-Train. And that was with his boys from South Minneapolis. Uh, that was Scott, Zeke, Pat, and Kirk. They were three uh, cats who came out. And they bumped us off after about, I think, on week eight, we got bumped off by them. <laughs> well, during that time, they were just getting ready to begin uh, looking for extras for Purple Rain. So that's when we had people from the production cast approach us and said, hey, would you guys like to be extras in Purple Rain? We are like, heck yeah. And so that was kind of our, our first chance to um you know be a part of uh, of the prince legacy at that at that particular point 
Yeah, we were on set. And uh, during the concert scenes, like the time and all of them uh, at First Avenue, we were kind of like in a bathroom, just, you know, down downtime and changes sets and lights and stuff like that it takes a lot of time. So we were just bored, went to a bathroom at First Avenue and just had a little boom box. We were in there dancing. I mean, true story. Prince walks in, doesn't say a word, does his business and stands there and watches us for like 15 minutes. Doesn't say a word, <laughs> just smiles and watches us. Uh, and then he leaves and... Uh, then it was, you know, you got the quiet on the set thing again. So everybody went back out and, uh, you know, was doing their little extra thing, trying to get your, trying to mug and find out where a camera was and get your face in there any way you could. Yeah. <laughs> uh, at the end of that day, Alan Leeds, which was his uh, manager at the time, came up to myself and Damon and asked if we were the guys dancing in the bathroom. And uh, first thing comes to our, our mind is, oh, shit, we're going to get in trouble because we were in there. Must have been making too much noise. And... Um, he just said, no, Prince, Prince really dug what you guys were doing. And he wants to know if you guys could put together uh, uh, some dance routines to these songs. And he gave us a cassette tape with seven songs. It had like Computer Blue, Darling Nikki, uh, Let's Go Cray. I mean, it, everything, uh, The Time, The Bird, Jungle Love, Modern Air. I mean, all of this stuff was on, uh, on this cassette. And uh, true enough, we left the set that night, probably around 9 or 10 o'clock. And uh, we had to be back on call at 5.30 in the morning. So we went to my mom's apartment, which was the closest place to First Avenue. And uh, she allowed us to clear out her living room. And we put together seven full routines for the next day's concert shoot. And um, that was our first interaction with Prince. We came back and knocked those routines out. And that's kind of where it all began for us. That's you guys on yeah, the, the balcony. Yeah, the guys up on the balcony. Right? Uh, absolutely. That's uh, I'm the guy wow. in the police cap. Wow. Uh, like the policeman's cap. And um, yeah, so again, like I said, full seven routines we put together and um, we said, oh, you know what? I was At the same time, I was about to um, re-up or re-enlist in the military. I was in the Marine Corps and I said, you know what? Something might happen with this. Let me let me let me hold out and see what happens. And then Prince called us up and said, hey, we're going down to um, it's right before the premiere of uh, Purple Rain. So I want you guys to come out to L.A., you know, for the premiere of Purple Rain. And I want you guys to debut this new song. And we're like, what? I put a routine together for this new song. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And so we went out to his warehouse. Pacey Park had not been built yet. And he had a warehouse out in Eden Prairie that we came out to. And he gave us this tape. And it was Erotic City. And we put together, we basically lip synced this routine to Erotic City like we were doing the vocals and everything. Uh, and he had outfits made for us by Lewis and Vaughn. And we thought we were just, oh, man, we, it was happening. It was getting ready to go down. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we went out to L.A. and uh, did the premiere. And we thought, oh, man, we're getting ready to go to Grumman's Chinese Theater. We're getting ready to go see Purple Rain. Man, all of our routines are in there. And it was funny. We kind of knew something was up when we when we got there because Prince called us into the room. And he was like, hey, uh, you know, we've only got so many tickets for, for the premiere for, of the movie. So um, uh -huh. we're like, OK, <laughs> here we go. <laughs> uh, so we didn't get to go to the, to the movie. I said that was the first slap. And then he said, um, by the way, you know, you guys did some great, we had great footage of you guys. And, you know, we didn't want it to feel like a breakdancing movie because, you know, at that time, breakdancing was big, right? And that's kind of like yeah. when we got our start was popping and, and locking and, and all that stuff. And he said, yeah. you know, so we had to cut some footage out. No, nowhere, we were nowhere near prepared for what we saw when we actually saw the movie. <laughs> yeah. And we were cut to those little couple scenes you saw out on the balcony. We were like, what the hell? <laughs> oh, and even when there was um, the remastered edition, there still wasn't any extra footage that I saw. It's got to come out someday. Maybe one day you'll see it. Oh, I, you know what? I hope it exists. I've never seen it. If it does. question was just about, because um, a lot of us now, we have this uh, imagination of the Minneapolis scene in like the late 70s, early 80s. And uh, I wanted to know if, if you got the sense of, you know, there's something really happening in this community that the rest of the world doesn't yet know about. Did you get that sense already in those days? or whether it was more later on after the fact that you looked back on it and said, wow, we really had something special. Yeah. Actually, you know, to be honest with you, no. I mean, um, at that time, you know, you had a lot of, uh, Minneapolis was basically, these these cats didn't have anywhere to play. I mean, you had bands in uh, uh, Cincinnati, Ohio, uh, you know, like the Ohio Players and all these cats who were coming up with the sound. And, you know, being in Minnesota, you know, the, uh, the African-American community is very small, right? So you were pretty much relegated to North and South Minneapolis. And so the ability to go out and actually play uh, at nightclubs and hone a craft was not really available. But 
what it did was gave these cats an opportunity to actually woodshed and really just come together and just really develop a sound. So again, all you had all these different factions or groups who eventually came together, but uh, Prince was kind of leading the way on that. Again, no one knew what was going to happen. Everybody knew that Prince was like was a prodigy, and he was the first one to get the deal, and no one could dispute his genius even at that particular time. What he did was once he you know got on with Warner Brothers, he was able to uh, he reached back to cats he grew up playing with and that he knew were players and uh, and brought them along for the ride once he had basically secured his deal. Okay, so you know after the first few albums came out, was it a surprise to like the Minneapolis people that he was making a movie after only what three four albums? Was that like a big th- that one must have been huge? Yeah, that was a big deal. That was a big deal. No one uh, you kind of got. Started hearing winds of it. Yeah, Prince is doing a you know kind of a semi autobiographical type of uh, uh, film about him, his life and, and growing up. And we were like, really, dude? You know, he's got a couple albums out. You know, and you know he had just started to hit. You know, um, you know, uh, you know, for you and you know stuff like that was coming out. And I want to be a lover. All this, you know, they were like, okay. And and if you notice, then it was he was definitely more on a R and B track at that particular time. And then uh, and then I think. Uh, what came after that was that was a dirty mind. I think that's when you started seeing, whoa, wait a minute. So the punk scene was big and he kind of took that and ran with it. And we were like, man, yeah. <laughs> you know, where'd this come from? He went from an Afro to all of a sudden now he's wearing a, a trench coat with bikini leotards and, and, and knee highs on. And we're like, OK, what the hell's going on? <laughs> So he took that and ran with it. And basically, <laughs> he basically found his niche, man. And it was starting to cultivate, you know, his direction and who he was going to be. And it gave him more latitude as an artist to expand and, and, and hit the masses. What he did with the flight time basically was that was his alter ego. That was who we grew up watching Prince and Jimmy and Terry and MB. You know, so he could cultivate and, and be who he was as a side man, you know, uh, bringing Morris up front. You know, and letting them cultivate that, and then he could still do his thing on the side. Yeah. Even for the four of us um, talking to you now, I think if I can talk on behalf of the guys here, we're well, at least I am surprised by how deep the connections were and still are. When when you think of about that Minneapolis music scene, it, it almost sounds like it was its own little musical universe at that time because you you had these massive cities, L.A. and New York, and Minneapolis was kind of wasn't really on on the radar, and then all of a sudden it just explodes. Um, yeah, and, it was. And uh, you were, you were right there. Yeah, it was. Uh, as I stated earlier, that at that time, I don't think anybody knew what was what was brewing at the time. It was just these cats creating and playing and, and just cultivating their craft. No one knew where this was going to go. Um, it, it, it was it was a perfect storm. And uh, when Prince got out in front of it, I, I think his ability to be able to reach back and bring people up with him uh, is, was like unprecedented. You know what I mean? It kind of goes back to even the days of uh, Parliament Funkadelic with George Clinton you know, Boozy Collins, they, I mean, they brought their crews along the whole the whole way. You know, whenever they could reach back for somebody, they gave them that opportunity. After the Purple Rain premiere, that movie just exploded and the album started hitting on the charts and then the tour and everything. And you had done all that choreography mm-hmm. and dance work and in being involved in the film. So while that was happening, what mm-hmm. was your involvement like with, with the Prince camp? And going forward, you know, when did you come into the into the frame again, so to speak? Um, that's that's an interesting question. Um, so after Purple Rain, nothing. I mean, we didn't go on tour. You know, uh, we thought we were going to get the opportunity to do that, but that did not happen. But for some reason, he kept us around doing, you know, parties or a video here and there or, you know, just keeping us around to do to do different things. Right before it was probably after Around the World in a Day. That LP, we thought, well, we felt like, you know, we're finally going to get our opportunity. And I remember going out to um, uh, rehearsals. And this is uh, Paisley Park is built and we a full sound stage. And we're like, man, this is unbelievable. This cat has built this out here. And it's, I mean, uh, everybody's dying to come here. And here we are out performing. And then um, that's when he brought in Sheila and Cat and, you know, Miko and, you know, Levi and all these cats came through from the Oakland area. And, um, and we're out there like just uh, we used to call us just the dance of fools. We're out there just trying to make our routines <laughs> going, man, you got you got to give us this opportunity. And uh, it didn't happen. He ended up um, we didn't go on tour. We just got the notice that, oh, 
we went out to Paisley one day. Everything was, you know, they were gone. They had hit the road. And we're like, what the? And we look at one of the concerts, and uh, we see um, Brooke, Wally, and Jerome yeah. on stage. And and you got to understand, you got to understand, to Kirk, Damon, and myself, they had our spot. Yeah, they took your spot. Right? <laughs> we're like, yeah, yeah, you got yeah. to be kidding me. You're talking, <laughs> you're talking about security? Security <laughs> took our spot? So, you know, but I, I, I kind of, you know, when we thought about it and, and tried to get past it, <laughs> we, uh, you know, I said, you know, I know um, – Jerome was no longer with the time and he was doing the family thing. Then that kind of went away. So he probably, you know, he had to, he kept Jerome on board, but he probably had to find some people to fill him around to keep him a part of, of, of everything that was going on. And I think that's probably why those cats filled those spots. But, um, you know, we were, we were salty. We were very, very salty at that point. And uh, we started our own, our own band basically. And uh, we started doing the college circuit. So it was Kirk, myself, Damon, uh, his sister, Kathleen, and some other local cats, and we uh, went out and just started our, you know, we're going to do our own thing. We're not going to worry about what Prince is going to bring us on eventually or whatever. We're just going to do what we do. And it was probably the best decision that we could have made as it gave us an opportunity to uh, to hone our craft for when our opportunity you did rise. You could just wait around forever, just waiting to see if he might if he might use you again. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah. you know, at that particular time, I mean, it was him or it was Jimmy and Terry. Those are the only two games in town. Either that or we had to move to L.A. or New York and... You know, we were we said if we make it, we're going to make it from our hometown. We're not going to move out to L.A. or New York to do it. Yeah. So that band that you had then, what were you doing there? Is that when you were starting to do rapping, or was mm-hmm. that just still just dancing? No, it was. Uh, we were band. You know, basically doing some covers and some originals. I mean, we were we were just a straight punk band. You know, we were doing the cameo uh-huh. covers. We were doing some slow jams. You know, R and B, stick strictly R and B, and then uh, every. Every now and then we'd slap in something where it had like a little rap person and I would take, you know, I would take vocals on those also. And, um, you know, at the same time, I was, you know, I was always writing and pinning stuff and and things of that nature. So that that kind of led to, you know, what eventually happened once, uh, you know, we became a part of the MPG. But it was something, again, that we were doing. I remember we were doing one show at a, it was a local radio station, KMOJ. They had a Christmas benefit and we were doing a, a show and uh, Prince ended up showing up. Jimmy and Terry were there because they were promoting Mint Condition at the time. Uh, Mint uh, yeah. hadn't totally blown up or signed with by time, but they were coming up uh, on the scene. And then uh, we had our gig and then Prince ended up showing up. And at this time, he had probably moved into, I don't know if you remember, a young lady he was starting to promote named Robin, Robin Power. Robin Power, yeah. And yep. this was right, this is pre-Carmen Electra. Yeah. Yep, this is pre-Carmen Electra. And um, he was standing on the sideline uh, while we were doing the gig, and he was like waving to us. I'm like, dude, we're right in the middle of a show. What do you want? What could you possibly want? Uh, <laughs> and Damon walks over, and he wanted Robin to come up on stage, and <laughs> Robin to come up on stage and dance. So he's basically trying to pr- promoting her a little bit, and so we brought her up, and and then at the same time, he was like, you know, uh, you know, calls up and he says, you know, I didn't know you guys were, you know, about doing all of this. And said, well, as again, we couldn't wait. We're just going to hone our craft. When our opportunity comes, we want to make sure that we're able to seize that. And maybe it's just uh, the time isn't now. So he respected that. And uh, not long after that, we received a phone call uh, to come out to Paisley. Uh, it was Levi, Levi and Miko. Miko called me and I think Levi must have called uh, Kirk. And uh, we went out there and... Uh, he says, uh, listen, I'm getting ready to start, you know, a new band called New Power Generation. I'd like you guys to be a part of it. And again, that that was strictly as dancers. I mean, and, and, and here's the funny part. They had a DJ booth set up in the back of the stage for for this show. And Kirk was going to be a DJ. Can you believe that? <laughs> Kirk, didn't know, Kirk, wow. Kirk didn't know anything about spinning no records. <laughs> <laughs> but he gave it a try. <laughs> I, I guess he said, I'll, I'll figure it out. Yeah, he, oh, yeah, he said, I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out on the fly. Luckily, he didn't have to do that. He uh, ended up playing some percussions, and uh, and we started doing choreography, and it kind of started from there, started to blossom at that point. Because, yeah, at some point, that was on, I think it was the 1990 Nude Tour. That's, you know, the Game Boys were there as dancers. And then at some point, you just started rapping on a few songs. And how did that start? Did Prince say, hey, do a rap? Yeah, or did, um, what did you suggest? I'm going to uh, do a rap? Interesting. Well, the rapping thing actually, it started, it was funny. We were, um, we were on the road, we were in Paris and, um, Prince was flying back and forth, uh, during that new tour. He was, uh, trying to finish up touching on editing for Graffiti Bridge, which was getting ready to release. And while he was gone, I remember this vividly. We were in the stadium and, uh, we were just, you know, sound checking. I was playing some guitar and Kirk was on the drums and, you know, Levi was on bass 
And um, Prince must have came in, and what we we were just jamming. Actually, what we were doing, we were doing a Humpty Dance, you know, Digital Underground. Yep, yep. And I knew all the lyrics to that, and I was playing a little <laughs> rhythm, and I and I was doing all the vocals. Yeah. Uh, on Humpty Dance, and then um, all of a sudden you hear this this voice come out of nowhere. We didn't even know he had came to the stadium or was back yet, and he says, uh, "Tony, what are you doing?" <laughs> I was like, "Oh shit." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I said, oh, no, we were just uh, we we're just sound checking. He said, yeah, that's kind of funky. I said, thank you. And he said, all right, let's get about you know let's get about the business of sound checking because we had a show to do. So as soon as we wrapped up sound check, Gilbert Davidson, was head of security at the time, uh, yeah. came up to me in the uh, in the cafeteria area and just says, hey, Prince wants to talk to you for a second. And he, you know, I went back to to the room and we chatted for a minute. And he said, "Hey, I didn't." Uh, he said, "I didn't know that. You know, you really had all that in you. I didn't know you played guitar. I didn't know you you, you song did did vocals and you know also rapped." I said, I "Said yeah, we did a lot of that, man." And uh, he said, "Can you remember that song? Can you can you do that song if we did it tomorrow?" And I said, uh, "Hell yeah!" yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so the next night. He, he put in Humpty Dance. Oh, we sound checked it, and he put in Humpty Dance during one of his wardrobe chains. He, he left the stage to me to go ahead and rock Humpty. And uh, I wasn't shy. I mean, it, you <laughs> cats have seen me before. I, I, I'm not one to shy away from anything. So I, I stepped right out front and knocked it out the park. And uh, from then on in, he asked me if I had any other lyrics. And I had a book full of lyrics, luckily. And uh, we started doing stuff like, you know, something this house funky comes. And but before yeah. you know it, we were just in the studio nonstop. That was one of, that's my next question. It was around then you started doing, yeah, the studio tracks, something funky this house comes, you got the flow, mm-hmm. and then you had all the Diamonds and Pearls album after that. And what are your, like, recollections of being in the studio? Like, were all the raps your yeah. raps, or did occasionally Prince just give you one and say, this is what you're going to do, or was all yours? No, yeah, it was pretty much. Uh, here's what the um, here's what the track is, and, I, and again, it would just be spur of the moment. It would be like, "Hey, Tony, can you come down to the studio? Oh, yeah. Bring your lyric book." And uh, he would let me listen to the track. And uh, some things were, you know, were not pertinent, so I would have to, you know, sh- scroll out some chunks here and add something here more pertain to the song or the track. He would give me a, a guide, a basic. Here's what the song's about, and then uh, he would fr- he pretty much uh, let me have at it full reign. You know, um, I always tell people that. One of the things that I, I cherished the most was, was our, our creativity, our working together. He, at that particular time, I mean, he didn't do that with other artists. He didn't do that with other band members. I mean, outside of Wendy and Lisa, and that was toward the end that he gave them an opportunity to co-write. And, you know, uh, for him to give me the opportunity to co-write with him and actually have songs on uh, on the Diamonds and Pearls and the Symbol album, with writer's credit and publishing credit. I mean, he showed me a lot of the business. Uh, I sat through a lot of stuff and uh, heard a lot yeah. of things. And it was uh, it was definitely a growing. He was he was schooling me on the business, basically. Mm. Can I ask one question about, I think it was a few years after, that there was some issue with, like, was it co-writing royalties or something? Yeah, I mean, it was pretty simple. I mean, it's probably... Um, you know, Prince found himself, you know, I mean, he's, he's pretty insulated, you know. And at the particular yeah. time, I had... I had left NPG and I was doing a uh, I was doing a solo project, you know, just some, you know, some creative you know, differences. You know, uh, what happened when we were doing the NPG is that I saw us. Uh, well, we were we were I didn't see it. We were going down the same path that um, he did with Morris Day in the time. So, you know, if you look back at that era with the time, Jimmy and Terry and all these cats, man, they were just they were session musicians. That whole album, mm. those albums were wrote by Morris and Prince. Yeah. And that and that's the same thing that I saw us doing. Prince and I were constantly recording, constantly writing lyrics, constantly. I mean, we were we were in studios all over the world. And, uh, you know, he called me up and I was just, you know, at some point, you know, I, you know, if this is an NPG album, I kind of felt like it needed input from everybody else. And, you know, just basically what kind of direction were we going to go? You know, with this, yeah. and you know, Prince will take something and run with it, and then before we knew it, he comes in and plops down this uh, cassette full of songs, and you know, uh, and says, "Hey, here's your album." <laughs> we were like, "Whoa, wait a minute!" <laughs> we didn't even talk about what the album was going to be, and then you know, to be honest with you, some of these tracks aren't probably things that I would put on an album or release. I'd like to do something a little different, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. You know, but Prince had his vision and, and what he wanted to do. So at, at that particular time, it was, it was probably a good time for me to to do what I, I wanted to do. So I started MPLS Records, Kurt and myself did. And, um, you know, uh, the royalty situation, you know, the, some of the mechanicals and the way things that were uh, were flowing, payments had, had stopped, you know, and, uh, and I was calling to find out, you know, what happened. And, 
you know, at some point, like I said, when I, and, you know, Prince and I, we talked about it later. And, you know, I, I, when I left, I didn't ask for a thing. I didn't, I didn't ask you to give me a plug anywhere. I didn't ask you for any money to help me do anything. I was funding everything on my own, trying to get distribution deals in Europe. And, you know, things were starting to come together. And, um, you know, as you know, even starting a label or trying to get up and going, even back then, uh, yeah, you can yeah. just imagine that you're hemorrhaging money. Yeah. You know, with no with no promise of a return. Mm. And, you know, and at some point in time, you know, you got to just go like, is this worth it? Mm. And, you know, uh, even during that whole uh, time during Diamonds and Pearls and and listening to Prince and uh, dealing with Warner Brothers and, and some of the conversations that were going back and forth, I, I kind of saw where this was going. So uh, that's really what that was about. It was just about me getting paid what I was due and what I was owed and uh, no more, no less than that. Okay. Tony, one thing I'm I'm really interested to know, I mean, so it's it's been a number of years since since those two albums. I'm talking about Diamonds and Pearls and and Symbol album. How do you look back on those two projects now? And when when's the last time you you've heard them? That that type of stuff. When I reflect on it, I um uh, I have nothing but fond memories. You know, at the time, it was it was a lot of work. And for me, especially during that particular time and even now I would say even now that I love being on the stage. I love the performance part. I never considered myself a studio rat. So if I came in, I mean, that's why Prince would always joke and say, one take, one take Tony. Because I'd come <laughs> in and knock my out and then I'm out of here, you know, because I'd want, you know, I'd want to get about, you know, the rest of the day and, you know, and do some other things. So I wasn't trying to sit up in the studio all night. I mean, because, you know, essentially when you're in Prince's band, you're his family. You know, I know he has siblings and, and, and this, that any other but really his family was his bands and you were around you were with him 24 7 and you know he loved creating he loved uh, just performing so if you went from all day rehearsals to all of a sudden we're going to do a photo shoot when you're done with the rehearsals and then hey uh, we're going to shoot a video matter of <laughs> fact since we're all in wardrobe let's shoot a video to this song and now you're now you're shooting a video till one or two in the morning and then he goes oh by the way we're going to throw a party <laughs> Uh, so, you know, we used, to, we used to joke and call it mandatory fun. Yeah, it never ends. That's, that's what we called it, mandatory fun, uh, when you had to stay at the, at the shows and, you know, just kind of hang out and sit like the, like, like the boy in the bubble. Uh, I used to joke with him all the time. I, I used to tell him he lived like Dracula. Actually, I didn't call him Dracula. I called him Blackula. And uh, he had uh, called me up to his room one day. Um, we were in Rio. And the year before that, during the new tour, we were in Switzerland and uh, we went to uh, Montreux. You, I don't know if you guys have heard of the Montreux Jazz Festival. I'm sure everybody has. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Claude had invited no, us up to his house. We've definitely heard about it. <laughs> yeah, he had a big dinner uh, planned for the band. He was showing us all this awesome archive footage of James Brown and Parliament and them coming up to the festival and performing. And and he had these hand glides, hand gliders sitting outside of his house. And he was like, hey, you know, I've got these, uh, we can do some tandem jumps. You guys can fly over Lake Geneva. And I was like, oh man, this is it. Well, Gilbert, the managers and them got wind of that and Prince could put the kibosh on it. And uh, I wasn't happy about that at all. And my theory was, I may never see this again. And yeah. I want to be able to experience every single one of these cities and towns that I'm in. I want to be able to live it. If I'm having a minute where we have a few days to go do something, I'm going to go out and and try and, and try to experience it. So we went to uh, the Rock and Rio show uh, in in Brazil, and uh, he found out that I went hand gliding. I didn't tell anybody. Uh, I found a local cat there who was able to translate for me, and uh, he took me up. Uh, and uh, I, I jumped off a cliff, and uh, he found out about it and called me up to his room. <laughs> his his theory is that his his theory was that I was too important to the show. I was too important to the show to uh, to be jumping off of cliffs. Yeah. And again, I re I reiterated that my black ass may not ever see this again, and I am going to experience every bit of it. And he said, "Well, did you enjoy it?" I said, "I absolutely did." And he said, "Was it you know was it five hundred dollars worth it?" Uh, so basically, I got docked, but I didn't mind. <laughs> but you know, we started the conversation of that basically. You live in this world where you go inside of a tinted limo to the back of a hotel, to the back of a club, to the back of, you know, I mean, you just, you're never out. And I asked him, I said, honestly, I said, brother, have you been out to, have you been out to Copacabana? Have you been over to Ipanema? Let's go to the beach. And uh, he's like, Tony, you crazy. I said, dude, yeah. let's go in the, let's go down to the beach. So we jumped in the car and we rode down to Ipanema 
And he rolled out and I jumped out and got out. And I said, come on, get out. He just rolled down the window and smiled and looked at me and just, you know, I said, okay, see, you you ain't about it, man. You want to sit up here in these cars in this little <laughs> bubble world. And I, you know, I want to get out and I want to experience people. I mean, he would, he would crack on me all the time, man. You know, like during shows, Damon and Kirk and I, we would, I mean, these are full stadiums. We would go out before the show, you know, all the fans are packed in there. They're looking at their tour books and we'd walk right up behind people and just stand there and go, which one of you guys like the best? Who do you like the best? And, you know, they turn around and go Prince and then they do a, they do a double take and go, wait a minute. And then they start putting the faces together and they freak out. But that was just our thing. We would go out and I'd want to meet the people who, you know, love this cat so much, man. You know? Oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah. Just to extend on that, when you're in Australia during Diamonds and Pulse tour in Sydney, you went out to like Taronga Zoo and went out to places and sightseed and did all that sort of stuff, didn't you? Oh, absolutely. Especially, uh, so I absolutely love Australia. And um, when we were at Perth or Brisbane or Sydney or Melbourne or whatever, I mean, I was out and about. I I didn't mess around. I mean, we got out, we went to the zoo, we went and checked out everything. I remember going to a, uh, a school for a, uh, uh, Aborigine kids and talking to them. Uh, so those are the type of things that Prince would allow me to do, which I really appreciated, whether it was Australia, whether it was in Harlem and New York um, uh, or whatever. Just he, he allowed me to uh, connect with the fans. He allowed me to be, uh, I would say, sort of like the mouthpiece. So I did all the interviews. I did all of the, uh, you know, all the radio uh, blogs and, and stints. And so I would sit up in a hotel forever and talk to cats like you. Uh, constantly, all the time. I, I I can't imagine Prince surfing or or like <laughs> just <laughs> throwing a ball at the bit, frisbee at the beach or something. I, I I can't imagine that. You and you almost got him there. You were like probably so a few meters away from making that happen. <laughs> yeah, almost had him there. Almost had him, man. Uh, we were. I mean, we would go to clubs, and I would just say, "Dude, how can you stand this?" I mean, we'd be sitting in a VIP section, and fans would just surround us and stare at us and. He would always tease me because I would just look at, I'd stare at somebody, and I just all of a sudden I just go, I would just go boo, and they would all jump and just laugh, <laughs> right? And uh, I don't know how you can do this, man. I got to go out and start talking to some people, and uh, and uh, so I think he 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 knew he couldn't do that, but he loved that about me, and he uh, he allowed me to be able to uh, some freedom to, to go out and do that. Like I always wondered, like you said, he was he was in the limo, and then he was at a hotel, and then he was on stage, and he was always like that insular, like enclosed in the bubble. And I just always wonder, you know, is that that must have been the way he wanted it to be? Otherwise, he he would have done something else. Well, and you know, uh, and that was true, especially when we were out on the road. But I got to tell you, one one of the reasons why he always stayed and never left Minnesota is that he could he could drive back to North Minneapolis and just ride down the street and and still just be Prince. Or, or Skipper, or, you know, what we yeah. grew up knowing him as. So he, he he wouldn't get, you know, blasted by people. So that was one of the primary reasons why he always stayed home, uh, always promoted Minneapolis, because he could be who he is, right? And uh, But when you got out on the road, yeah, he uh, there was that different persona that came out, and uh, more of a recluse, more of a, uh, you know, shy. Um, and, and let me tell you all something. Prince wasn't shy. I used to call him an original Northside OG. I mean, <laughs> Prince was no joke. He was uh, he was straight Northside. He was straight North Minneapolis, man. So whatever yep. y'all saw was more of his uh, maybe intellectual side. But if you got around him and just hung around him, it uh, you saw you saw who Prince was. Who very competitive, very uh, yeah, uh, very funny. And you know, being being in ping pong, being in pool, being in basketball. Yeah, whatever. Uh, uh, he was uh, he was very competitive, and he liked having fun and laughing. You were on the nude tour. You were on Diamonds and Pearls tour, and then I think you did Act One tour, which was like '93. And so it was after that that you left the mm -hmm. NPG. So you didn't go like I think it was Act Two, which was the European. Yes. Mm -hmm. So it was in between there. That's when you decided that's it. Yeah, yeah. We had. Um, I remember us going out to um, Cadiz, Spain, and we did a show out there and, and we did it as um we did a new power generation album and uh yeah it was yeah it, it was cool um it's footage i've still been trying to find ever since uh ever since we did the show but you know uh at that particular time i think it was probably best it was best to move on at that particular time so i transitioned and um and it was it was good you know uh even at, at that point you know um you know when you're trying to uh, establish 
yourself as a solo artist and you're doing it on your own dime and you're trying to establish a, a record label and you're doing that on your own dime and you have other groups or young cats who are coming up who you're trying to mentor and, and bring up and you know you, you can see the look in their eyes like man I hope you know I believe in him I hope this happens yeah that at some particular at some point in time I just you know uh, the business side started to, to, to wear on me you know and again I I, I, I knew the battles that Prince was having with Warner Brothers. I knew the, the games that were being played. And at that point in time, I said, you know what, I think it's now, now's a good time to transition. I wanted to get married. I wanted kids. I said, so now's probably the, the perfect time to transition. So when I walked away, I mean, people literally just thought I fell off the face of the earth. I didn't, I didn't go to any more parties. I didn't show up at any functions. Um, I, and, I, and I always feel for me, I had to walk totally away. You can't dip your toe back in every now and then because you get sucked back in. Yeah. Right, because because you start finding yourself longing for that life again, and and I was always a cat to go. Listen, man, we played in front of hundreds of thousands of people, have toured the world over and over again. I can't see myself going down to bunkers or the caboose and playing gigs and slept <laughs> and slept in my own gear around at that point. So it was a good time for me to to walk away, and even more so just with the tribute that we just did. That was needed. It felt great. It felt like home. It felt like uh, we could do a few more of those. And uh, I would be I would be totally satisfied with doing that. But again, when I walked away, it had to be cold turkey. It had to be a full transition. Well, that was one of the other questions was about the tribute. Player, you want to do that? You briefly touched on it, just asking what that was like, uh, hooking up with all the, not only the old MPG band members, but the whole gamut mm-hmm. of past band members you and old yeah yeah and yeah uh what it was like we sharing the stage with dougie fresh and, and all that. <laughs> yeah um so as far as uh, getting back together uh with all the different iterations of new power generation i'd have to say that it was it was it was different at first you know because no one really knew each other you kind of you know here's the original i mean we always feel like we are npg right yeah. and then you know uh, all these different iterations and and, and kind of how I feel is that, I mean, they were great groups, but it, people started getting lost in the wash. It was just a bunch of people on stage, outstanding musicians, outstanding uh, artists, crazy vocalists. But there was no connection for fans to really latch on to somebody like a Rosie Gaines, you know what I mean? Or latch on to like a, like a Sheila E or, 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 or anything like that. So it just became this big wash of people. So when we got together, it was it was interesting because you saw people kind of gravitating toward each other's uh, entity. And I'm a pretty gregarious cat. I I will come up and talk and chat or whatever. And so you kind of break the ice. And then you know a lot of people would you know once you started getting into the conversations, it was just like it was a family. We were all family, and uh, that's what it turned out to be. And it was a uh, it was it was great to do that and get it and, and finally have that happen. Um, it happened on short notice. We didn't have much time to. Uh, to pull everything together. I, I wish we'd had at least a month, a month and a half, but we knew it would come together when we had to. And when you hit the stage, it just, it just happens. I couldn't believe it when, cause you know, we weren't there, we were here and there were like people just with mm-hmm. like camera phones and stuff doing Periscope or whatever. And I was just watching it on some grainy camera phone. And when you came out, it just, it just blew my mind. I'm, I couldn't <laughs> believe Tony M is back. He's on the stage. And then, you know, Sexy MF, it just blew my head off. I, I couldn't believe that was happening. It was so cool. It was great. <laughs> I appreciate it. Uh, here's what's so funny is that uh, I couldn't believe it was happening either. And, and, <laughs> and I had my, my kids in the crowd. So I am yeah. very carefully getting the crowd to say Sexy <laughs> But MF you didn't say it yourself. not me saying it in front of my kids. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But, you know, for... For me, uh, 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 during that tribute, um, it was more about my kids. I mean, not many people get a chance to go back at that level and, and do something yeah. that their kids were now old enough to be able to appreciate and see what dad used to do and to do it at that level and, uh, and to do that in front of them. Uh, I you know, got the opportunity to bring them up on stage and dance, and they had a blast, man. So for me, uh, doing that tribute was not only closure for myself and for my brothers and, and other family members, new and old, to, to go through, but, uh, you know, for my kids to, to see that, um, was very important for me. Oh, it was, it was great. It was, it, it was a, but yeah, there was a lot of people and it was a pretty, I think it was like five hours long. It was a long show. But yeah. It, but it was yeah. Good. It was, yeah. So the next ones will never, will not be anywhere near that long. Uh, <laughs> 
but again, they, you know, a I bit, of, you a have, bit of editing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. But what, you know, what you have and, and is that when Fresh. you bring in, you know, major artists like a Stevie Wonder or yeah. and Dougie Fresh. And well, I, let me tell you something. That was my first time actually meeting Dougie, and uh, the cat couldn't be so, you know, any more humble. And you know, that that's me. I'm just like real people, and we just chatted like we had known each other all along. And he wasn't about uh, when I'm on the stage, you know, Tony, you can't be on, you know, there was none of that. It was like, let's rock this together yeah. and let's make it the best, you know, that, that it can be. And, uh, and that's what it was, man. So uh, love Dougie to, uh, to death. And he killed it, by the way. And was Dougie like a influence of yours? I was wondering when you were doing raps during your time, like what your influences were or what you were listening yeah. to around that time. So uh, my influences, I, um, probably around that time, again, I was, a uh, I'm, I'm a funketeer deep down to the core. You know, yeah. I grew up on Parliament Funkadelic, Gat Band, Cameo, you know, all that old school R&B, everything, Sly Fast, Flying the Family Stone, you know, uh, New Birth, you name it, man. Those are the things that we grew up on. And, uh, once the hip hop things had started to explode out of New York, I remember thinking, man, how is this really going to take flight? And, yeah. you know, what is this? You know, and so it was something new that I, you know, I started, I, you know, I, I checked out, but I don't, I don't want to say I was full. I was all in. Uh, it probably wasn't until uh, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, you know, came with the message when I was here. It, it kind of moved away from all that party all the time or, you know, more braggadocio rap to uh, to message content that I yeah. really started gravitating toward it. And then uh, so I would have to say, you know, I list, you know, I, I love the storytellers. So of course I gravitated towards Slick Rick and uh, and Dougie Fresh, right? Uh, Chuck D, you name it. KRS One, uh, you know, I, I, I Pro Ratchet's teachers, Tribe Called Quest. So these were probably my influences when I really started feeling uh, hip hop and rap. And those were the those are cats where I was, that I was gravitating toward when I when I really started delving my, delving into hip hop. One question I've got is just talking about how Prince sort of incorporated rap into his music starting probably around 1990 and then Diamonds and Pearls. Some fans didn't take like too mm-hmm. fondly of that and I think you sort of bore a bit of the yeah. the backlash of that. Did you feel that at the time? Or? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, how can you not? I mean, again, this is a cat who had had established himself as, you know, probably even as somebody at the time who up until that period had uh, downplayed rap music, right? Yeah. And so I think a lot of his fans felt like it was more of a, uh, was, was it a sellout or was it, you know, or, or was he really into it? So I had my situation where I felt like I was, you know, battling or trying to uh, become a part of his original fan base and they weren't, they weren't having a rap and then also trying to be accepted in the rap community, but I was playing over a band in Prince, and they're like, man, that ain't no hip-hop, so it was kind of like, <laughs> I was kind of battling it from both ends. Uh, yeah. So I kind of felt like, you know, uh, I'm going to make the best of it. He's given me an opportunity. I'm going to take it and run with it, and I, and, I, and I would challenge anybody who was in my position to walk away from that situation if they had the wherewithal to go ahead and do it. I guarantee you no one would have. You would try to make the best of it. You do what you can. And then, you know, along the way, I think, you know, uh, I did bear the brunt of it, but it is what it is. I, I took it with a grain of salt. Uh, he believed in me. He gave me the opportunity. So uh, we went with it, man. Because, yeah, whenever people bring that up, my argument always is, you know, why hate on Tony? I mean, you were just doing what Prince, you know, Prince wanted to rap in this track, and that's what you did. I never saw how you know, the blame came to you, you know, he had this vision, you made it happen, mm-hmm. and that's what you did, and then I think just people saw Prince, you know, following that, like, the trend of rap, I think you were, like, the mm-hmm. physical manifestation of, you were the person to, that, he's the guy, blame him. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, it, it is, it, it is what it was, I mean, you know, he was, uh, he was starting to delve into it a little bit, I don't know if you remember, uh, in, in Graffiti Bridge, he had this cat, local cat, uh, T.C. Ellis. T.C., yeah, and, yeah. Um, TC used to bug Prince all the time. Yeah, TC used to bug Prince all the time. Mac. So what you saw in the graffiti bridge, Prince, let me rap for you, man. That was that's that real. Was, that was TC, man. That's what he did. <laughs> yeah, that's real. That's that's real. That's what he did. And uh, you know, being able to to do that, but you know, I think at at some point in time, once Prince gave me the opportunity, I think people saw a different side of it. I mean, to actually be able to co-write with him. So he did TC as a as a project, right? Uh, it wasn't something that he incorporated into his work. Yeah. So for the first time, fans actually saw him let somebody into the fold and, and incorporate. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, Prince and I, we had our differences on things. You know, sometimes the tracks were too fast and it wasn't it wasn't fat enough. It wasn't this, that or the other thing. But again, 
Uh, I, I made the best of it. Uh, we made the best of it. And uh, again, he had total faith in me and he pushed me to, to do some things that I probably typically would not have done or any, I think any rap artist probably wouldn't have done at that t- at particular time. I mean, you were probably one of the first rappers that I'd really ever even heard because I'm just this, you know, I was this white kid growing up in Australia. It was all just pop music and I didn't know any rap. And then, you know, <laughs> Diamonds and Pearls came out and there's this, right. there's, there's you and you're doing rap. And I'm like, and then when people started going, oh, what's this rap? I'm like, I didn't know what was wrong with it. I thought it was great. I didn't know why people, some people didn't like it. It was, it was the first, you, you like set the standard for rap. So I had nothing to compare it to. So I thought it was great. <laughs> And then other people are like, oh, Prince is trying to do rap or oh, I appreciate it. I thought it was fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. It, I, I appreciate it. It was, uh, it was funny. It was, like I said, it was, uh, you had his true fan base who were not, they were not feeling that at all. Uh, and then you had the hip hop community who, uh, who uh, was not about, about it either. So it, it, it became, yeah. a, became a challenge uh, at times. But, you know, it is, it is what it is. I, I wouldn't trade any of it for, for the world. You know, I like to say that I was probably one of the originators to to rap in front of a, a live band. You know, uh, after that, oh, yeah. you started to see uh, Snoop Dogg or Biggie or you know P Diddy and all these cats. All of a sudden, were bringing out live bands and doing their doing their shows over a live band, and it wasn't over two uh, you know two turntables and a microphone. So I like to say that I was probably ahead of that uh, ahead of that game, and uh, you know it manifested itself. Uh, uh, as hip hop began to grow and, and, and uh, you know turn into something else. Yeah, and and what a what a band to do it with. Michael B, Sonny T. Oh, they, right. my absolute favorite version of NPG was the original NPG, and you oh, you wouldn't have had a better band to to do that with. Right, absolutely, absolutely. And again, these are it was family. You know, Michael Bland. Uh, we went to junior high together, uh, so I've known. Michael forever, Kirk and I, Damon and I went to high school together with Jerome. So all of us, we knew each other. We had been around each other before at dance parties and, and concerts and everything. So it was, uh, it was easy. It was easy. You know, just being around each other was easy. Slightly diverging into other areas. What is your all-time favorite print song? <sighs> Ooh, yeah, that's, uh, that's tricky. You had so many. I don't know that it, I have it a is I can tell you a few that I... Well, absolutely. If I, if it comes on, I loved uh, another lover holding your head, and I was for me the ballads, man. Princeton, the ballads, man. You know, adore, do me, baby. You know, help. Even stuff like automatic. Uh, you know, back in the day. I mean, there's so many, man. There's just too many. I, there's too many to pick one. I don't have a favorite. Surely it has to be a track that you're featured on, right? You know, get off, Daddy Pop, something. Absolutely not. <laughs> absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely not. People ask me that a lot, and I said uh, I would, I would not put that in, in, in any of my favorites that I would put on to play. I'll let other people do yeah, that. That's for other people. Rob was talking about to Tony about the hip hop scene that they were listening to and Lin Drum stuff. So I think you know again, what, it was either Rob or Player who were asking you know about the influence and then you know what we were listening to at the time. Um, again. Um, we weren't sampling. If we sampled anybody, it was we sampled ourselves. And then, you know, it was it was heavy on the kick drums and snares, but they were live kicks and snares. And, you know, I think uh, I like to think, uh, you know, that kind of helped some of the other bands or hip hop bands like the Roots come along and actually, you know, put together a live show and some musicianship. These cats could play and they like, you know, I think that they kind of helped us or, you know got people away from just the two turntables and a microphone or, or a drum kit or, you know, Lin drum or you name it. And a Kai 9000, whatever drum programs everybody was using at that particular time, we went live with it. So you, you recorded the first MPG album, some of that in Sydney as well? Um, you know, to be honest with you, we recorded all the time. I know we were, we were in studios there in Sydney. We were in studios in London, over in Europe. I mean, a lot of these tracks were recorded all over the place, especially like, you know, things like The Flow, and uh, something as house funky comes, things like that. Those were things were were kind of recorded on the fly as we were going and touring. The chunk uh, of the stuff like diamonds and pearls and get off and things that those were done, you know, uh, at Pace Air out in Los Angeles. And uh, my other question was, since leaving the MPG, have you been closely following Prince's career and his output of? what he was doing well yeah absolutely um i think i talked earlier that you know once i had to take a moment where if i was going to transition i shut everything off i didn't pay attention to any of it 
And then eventually uh, he called me. Actually, he, he saw me at a, uh, a Beyonce concert. A true story. He was uh, <laughs> all of a sudden I'm standing there with my, my wife and this light, this light keeps flashing by my eyes. And I'm like, who is hitting me with a light? And I look down and it's a princess security guard and princess standing right next to him laughing. <laughs> and uh, so we went down and we started to, we went down uh, and started talking and laughing. And uh, I think that's when we, had, you know, you know, started chatting again. And then, I, you know, I go out to Paisley every now and then no parties, but you know, I think it was probably the last year. It's when I actually, you know, uh, went out to a set and chatted with them a little bit. And, uh, but when I walked away, I did walk away. So, yeah, you've just got one more little story, which I don't think that the audience would forgive me if I didn't tell you. It was uh, a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Prince invited us to New York to interview him. And there was um, Stephen Hill there from BET. And he was with uh, Nasser Metcalf was his security guy. And we had a chat about everything, mostly, you know, state of the record industry and the record labels and, you know, being being under the slave contracts and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And through that, Prince got onto the subject of Jim Crow. And MC and I were there and, you know, two young white guys from Australia yeah. with extremely limited knowledge of American history, and just as I'm sure, you know, a lot of Americans don't know that much about Australian history, and so Prince here started talking about Jim Crow, and at one point he looked at me for, like, some input, and I looked at Rob, and I looked back at Prince, and I said, the only thing I know about Jim Crow is that Tony M put his foot in his ass, because that's the line (laughs) from the rap in My Name is Prince. (laughs) That's right. The look on his face was just... Priceless. What did he say? What did he say? Uh, he didn't actually say anything. There was just this look of like, what? And he like paused a second and then he just like continued talking to him, <laughs> Stephen Hill. <laughs> Pretty much. Because that's the only, I know it was a serious topic. That, that... It's kind of a ridiculous comment, but that was my only single reference that I knew about Jim Crow. So that's what I said. But it was, uh, it was a funny it was a funny thing, <laughs> but I just had to tell you that. You know what? Uh, that was. Oh, uh, we'll we'll end on that note. That was yeah. hilarious. It's that was good, hilarious. It's a good thing I can see does. the look on his face. Yes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, fellas. Uh, hey, man. I appreciated the time, man. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. If somehow we can get an official Prince tribute down to Australia, even if it's a, you know, it'll be obviously a lot more limited than the the extravaganza we just saw, but even something would be amazing. Yeah, we're looking at, I think there's going to be some opportunities for some shows, and uh, thank you. No problem. All right, fellas. Thanks again. Cheers. Talk to you soon.